This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 496 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. My name is Matt Buck. We are excited! Yes. Yes, we are. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. Each week, Matt and I use the powers that were thrust upon us when we became the guardians of the terrible and ancient stepped pyramid we live in to discuss, review, and just sometimes plain scream about comic books. And the nerdy news swirling around the toilet that is the internet. Gross. On this week's episode, Joe and I are back from vacation and jumping back into the game with reviews of Matt Kent's Black Badge number one and the return of Marvel's first family in the pages of Dan Slott's Fantastic Four number one. After that, we're going to review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics in the ludicrous speed round. And then we'll stop by the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, because one of you demanded it, we'll visit the library where the ancient and wise THN historian Jason Sachs will tell us just who the hell is Dominic Fortune. It's all happening in this pulse-pounding episode. But before we start ogling men and women in tights, because... If you're not picky, it doubles your chance for a date, you know. We better talk about this week's Nerd News! We don't like terms like bisexual. We prefer, we prefer terms like picky. Picky. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you picky or are you not nah, picky? Nah, nah, <laughs> nah, nah, I'm not picky. I'm picky, picky man. Nah. <laughs> the ongoing saga of James Gunn's firing from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 by Disney isn't over yet. Apparently, Marvel Studios is lobbying Disney to rehire the writer-director for the planned sequel. This is according to Deadline. Just last week, it was reported by unnamed sources close to Disney that Gunn's rehire was, quote, unlikely. God. However, it was later reported that Gunn's script was still potentially going to form the basis of the film. Yeah, you know why? Because Batista came out and said, this is bullshit, I'm not making this movie. Right. If you either bring him back, if you ditch his script, it's over. I walk. This is a quote from Deadline's Mike Fleming Jr. I'm told it's a discussion that comes in the wake of the whole cast declaring their loyalty to Gunn, whose abrupt exit has put a thriving film franchise in a rocky place. One would have to label this 11th hour approach to be a long shot, but the community is talking about it, end quote. As Matt said, uh, this is tied directly to reports that Batista said uh, he was going to try to get his contract annulled, or not annulled, but What he said vacated. on Twitter was, he was like, when this first popped up, like, I talked to Chris, and he was like, I got to pray about it. Yeah, he's kind of religious. Batista was like, fuck that. He was like, he's kind of a religious dude. I respect that. Me? I was like, fuck that. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Batista said that he'd attempt to exit the film if Gunn's script were not at least used. And uh, he would just reluctantly be fulfilling his co- contract obligation if they hired another director. He also threatened to Batista bomb Mickey Mouse through a table. Oh, shit. Yeah. And if you've ever seen that shit, it hurts. Of course, uh, as we all remember, Gunn was fired from the film in July when some offensive tweets he posted. Okay. We all we were both firmly on the boat that this is total horseshit that he was fired. I mean, we've, all d- we've discussed the firing thing. Right. My question is, is it a good move for Disney to 
renege on their decision? No, it's not. Is it the right move? Yes. You know it's what the I right mean? move for the movie. It's the right move for the movie, and it's the right move for common decency and whatnot. But Disney, being a corporation, has to come from a place of power. And they've already decided that if they were going to make this firing, right, if they were going to do this and go out and embarrass themselves and give these fucking internet trolls what they want because they want to dodge whatever sure. shitstorm they saw coming, right. then they have to stick by their decision. Because otherwise... They are bending in the wind to the wills of anybody that screams back and forth. Now, if enough people, and I, this sounds like horseshit, but like if we all fill out a petition. Well, I mean, there was already a petition that had 100,000 plus right. signatures on no it. No one cares right. no, about this firing. Online petitions. No one shit. is going to stand outside. No, I'm saying no one is going to stand outside this movie if James Gunn is rehired with signs saying he's a pervert or whatever. Right, right. That's not going to happen. Disney, what they need to do is let the news get a little further out. And just gently rehire him. See, they've already set the precedent that they will cave to pressure yes. from, you know, uh, extreme ideologies. And so at that point, who cares? Just keep caving. Yeah. I mean, look, take a stance and say, look, we reviewed the situation. It was right. wrong. It was wrong for us to to react in this way. Right. Or don't even admit. Don't even admit that you were wrong. Just fucking do it. You're Disney. Who cares? Yeah. Don't say anything. Pull a fox and just be like, that was all part of the plan. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, whatever. Yeah. It, they, I don't know. They need to bring him back. It's stupid. It endangers a much beloved film franchise that they have made a shitload of money on. Even if they use his script, they're hiring a director that's going to do a James Gunn impersonation. Right. So he's still going to be there in spirit. I mean, come on. Right. Like, best case scenario is that they pivot to the left and, and say, hey, Taika Waititi. Right. When you're done making that Hitler movie. <laughs> and if DC had half a brain, they'd say, hey, James Gunn, you're hired. Oh, I, I, from everything else I've read, like, Hollywood is not... They don't give a shit. ...shy about wanting to hire James Gunn. No, like, they don't give a I shit. I can't wait for him to finally be free of this so that we can of hire him to course. make our movie. He's a known property that makes shitloads of money with millions of beloved fans yeah. who lost their shit when he got fired. Mm -hmm. That's the perfect guy to hire, you know? Interesting. It's just uh, dumb. Developing... Developing story, we will continue to follow it as things progress. Yes. I want to eat your brain. Spider sense tingling. From the bad idea Sony desk, reportedly Sony has scrapped its plans for its silver and black Spider-Man spin-off team-up film. That's a lot of stuff for one film. Many hyphenated words in that sentence. But don't worry, Joe. They're going to replace it with separate films oh, thank God. for the Black Cat and Silver Sable. I was really worried. This is according to Variety. A Black Cat film will be the first of the pair to go into production. This is a quote from Sanford Panich, head of Sony's Columbia Pictures Bad Idea Division. We believe Black Cat is enough of her own character with a great backstory and a canon of material to draw from to mm. justify her own film. Joe mm. Patrick... You're the closest thing I know to a black cat expert. Yeah. I would like okay. you to tell me your favorite black cat story that um, should be turned into a movie. Go. You know why you can't name one? Because the black cat is a fucking side character that exists best in the Spider-Man universe, in Spider-Man's orbit. Let me tell you everything that I know about her rich backstory and canon of material. She is a burglar. Yes, with big boobs. The end. <laughs> She's a sexy, sexy she burglar. She used to date Flash Thompson for she a while. She did date Flash Thompson 90s. for a little bit. 
Director Gina Prince Blythewood is reportedly unlikely to remain on board to direct either The Black Cat or Silver Sable. Oh, she only wanted to do Silver and Black. She was only interested in the team up because that's the only way they should ever do it because The Black Cat and Silver Sable have such a long history of teaming up and doing shit together. Yes, definitely. This is so dumb. This is so dumb. Along with this, Variety's also reporting that the previously announced films in development for Morbius, Craven the Hunter. Craven the Hunter? By himself. Yes. Silk. All right. And Nightwatch, a film based on Jackpot, may also be in the works. All right. Now, if you are like me, you will have to pause and Google who Jackpot is. Jackpot is a character that was very briefly... Uh, I won't say popular, but utilized. Was Jackpot a slinger? No. Okay. Jackpot was a character that was introduced after One More Day, and it was like very apparent that Marvel wanted us to believe it was Mary Jane. Oh, that's right. That's right. She had, she may have had like luck powers. I think, I don't think she actually. It wasn't Mary Jane. Yeah. I don't think she actually had luck powers. I think we thought that and it turned out to be something else. But no. So I Googled it last night. There were actually two Jackpots. In the short amount of time she was around, uh, the identity <laughs> wait, changed wait, wait. hands. Are we talking jackpot or jackpot two? <laughs> <laughs> it was jackpot, first jackpot one, and then there was jackpot two, then it went back to jackpot one, because oh. jackpot two got killed. What a twist. Jackpot one had powers, jackpot two d- didn't. Uh, anyway, none of this, who, who gives a shit? Yeah. Truly. Jackpot. Truly. Who gives a shit? I'd rather watch a Nightwatch movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I, I am saying, and I'm going to call my shot. 50% chance none of these get Oh, made. 50, I think, is way too generous. Like, Silk. No, I'm saying the whole of them. Oh, any of I'm them. I'm saying 50% sure. chance we don't see any of this, including Silver Sable and Black Cat. Um, I think that there's a fair chance we might actually get the Morbius movie because they already cast Morbius. Oh, uh, well, I mean, let's think about when they announced the fucking uh, Universal Monsters thing. Oh, the and Dark like, Universe. We got all these movies coming in. It starts with Tom Cruise's The Mummy, and The Mummy made a giant fart noise in the theaters, <laughs> and then they <laughs> quietly aired the theater out and went, I don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. There's what monster We universe? had a water main break. If, yeah, sorry. We had to clear Venom, things out for a while. If Venom takes a shit, you will not see any of these. Yeah, and so I, far, I agree. reaction to Venom trailers is not Good. My favorite thing about the Venom trailer so far is uh, the internet hero who decided what would be what would happen if Venom had googly eyes. Yes, that's the best <laughs> thing I've seen. <laughs> uh, like, okay, so Silk, I can see, I can see how you could like sort of do some mental gymnastics to do stories about these characters that have nothing to do with Spider-Man. No However, reason to do it though. Right. There's no reason. Silk's origin is literally tied to the exact origin of Spider-Man yes. as though like in Amazing Fantasy 15, if the camera had slightly pivoted, you would have seen Silk at the science fair. Right. She got bit by the same fucking spider. Yes. Which whatever. That's oh fine. Oh my god. But like this is just a terrible idea and it's come up with by people that just want to make money. They don't care about these characters. I just don't get it. They don't give a shit about the history behind them. They don't care about the creators. They are panicking and trying to make as much money as they can before Marvel inevitably gets all this back. Yeah. Because they will. I just, I don't get it. There is no projected release date for any of these piece of shit films. And I, again, I highly doubt we're going to see them. Let's talk about comics. Uncanny X-Men number one. Remember when they announced that at Comic-Con and they didn't tell you anything about it? I remember they yelled it really loud and then they turned the They're lights like, off. Uncanny X-Men number one! <laughs> and then, then the lights came back on, the Marvel panel was over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Uncanny will launch this November with a 10-part weekly 
storyline. Oh, thank God. I know. Titled X-Men Disassembled. This comes from writers Ed Brisson, Kelly Thompson, and Matthew Rosenberg, and artists Mahmoud Asrar, R.B. Silva, Yildre Sinar, and cover artist Linnell Francis Yu. Okay, mad props to Marvel for not giving this gang a stupid, silly name. Like, the young yeah, the young guns The young guns, or, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the announcement was accompanied by promotional art by David Marquez and Rochelle Rosenberg heralding... No one survives the experience. <laughs> They're going to kill them all. I love it. A whole host of X-Men are on the image, though noticeably absent are the five original teen X-Men. Their story will probably be resolved in the upcoming Extermination miniseries, which starts uh, today, yeah. as a matter of fact. Yes, I kind of hope so. And also, adult Cyclops was not there because he dead. Yeah. He's still dead. So let's pop off. Young Scott Summers' head and just replace it with old Scott Summers' head. <laughs> yeah, right. And maybe young body will make him a better Yeah, like a Lego, yeah. right? Just take him off totally. to the construction worker body and put him on the uh, other one. I can't think of more than one Lego. Sorry. No, gotcha. I didn't have Legos when I was a kid. The term disassembled was previously used as the title of an Avengers story that killed multiple members of the team and led to the title's cancellation and relaunch. This was all courtesy of Brian Michael Bendis who decided that Hawkeye doesn't know how to take off his own quiver. Well, it doesn't come off very easy. I guess not. You don't want that thing falling off. Sure. Here's how Marvel describes the story. X-Men Disassembled brings together nearly every mutant left on Earth in a story that threatens to destroy them, an epic tale of mystery and tragic disappearance with an adventure so earth-shattering it could very well be the X-Men's final mission. Okay, so let's call our shot. They're going to murder a shitload of mutants. It's going to be... Yeah, but nobody important. No, but I mean, like, I, I, it, it would not shock me if they murdered everybody but the core team and all of a sudden in a world that truly a world that hates and fears them versus like eight people. Sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's too many mutants as they, it is. They did that shit, though. We, we, had, it. we had 10 years of, of no more mutants, right? Where there was only like 200 of them running around. Yeah. yeah. And like Marvel did that story already. 199. 198. 198. 198. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We found out it was 199. <laughs> right. And that's yeah. Right. Oh, yes. Hope Summers was 199, the first new mutant. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, a weekly story is ambitious. I like these creators, though. Um, Marvel, I just think it's hilarious because Marvel spent most of the mid-2000s making fun of DC for putting out weekly comics. Right. And now they're doing it. I do like a good old-fashioned mutant slaughter, though. I think that could be fun. Yeah, you know, I, I like a big X family event. Yeah. I like it. And yeah. I'm glad to have Uncanny X-Men back. And this they, is a good creative They team. need to just kill some people, too. There's too many mutants running around that we don't give a shit about. Let's just hack and slash, baby. Let's throw them on the pile. Oh, man. Yeah. You heard it here into first. The, into the, the wood chipper. The wood chipper. <laughs> throw the mutants into the, the chipper. The mutant wood chipper. <laughs> the mutant chipper. <laughs> That is your nerd news for the week, but there's still plenty to discuss. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, call us every Saturday from 1130 to 1230 Central Standard Time and talk to us live on THN Cover to Cover. It's your nerdy call-in show, and we can't do it without you. What's more, we won't. We refuse to do it without you. Call us live at 402-819-4894 or leave a message if you can't get through. You can also send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. It's your show, nerds, and we want to hear from you. Oh, hello. I didn't see you there. Come in, won't you? It's review time in the ziggurat, where Joe and I put on our smoking jackets, settle back in our mohair chairs for a sultry discussion and review of two 
of last week's biggest comics. See, we were on vacation and some big stuff happened. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Joe, why don't you start us off, baby, with the long-awaited return of the Fantastic Four. We get uh, situated here. I'm showing a little leg. Mm. You know. <laughs> Your rope. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic Four number one from Marvel Comics, written by Dan Slott, with art by Sarah Pacelli, Simone Bianchi, Scotty Young, and various. Isn't it just Simone? It's Simone. He Italian. Simone? Yeah, he's a dude. I don't know. Uh, covers are by Asad Ribic. It's 48 pages for $5.99, which is very expensive for a 48-page comic. But they know you're going to buy it. Yeah. So here's your solicit. Forever. That's F-O-U-R. Ever. Get part, it? Part one. Do you get it? I get it. Okay. Because you demanded it, the world's greatest comic magazine is back. Since the end of Secret Wars... There's been a gap in the Marvel Universe, a void no other team can fill, and it's time for the world to move on. But can it? A life-changing decision by the Thing, a momentous declaration by the Human Torch, a clarion called arms that summons Doctor Doom, and a signal in the sky that heralds the return of hope to the Marvel Universe. Not that hope. No, no, no. Yeah. She's already yeah. somewhere else. All this and Alicia Masters adopts kittens. So cute. Hmm. Plus, the Impossible Man. And bonus stories illustrated by Simone Bianchi and Scotty Young. If you only read one Marvel comic this month, this is the one. See, it's too bad they couldn't do like, if you only read four Marvel comics this month. <laughs> this, this is one of them. <laughs> this should be one of them. <laughs> it's been three years since the Fantastic Four left the comic stands with the Richards family on a quest to rebuild the multiverse in the wake of Jonathan Hickman's Secret Wars. I guess. While the rest of the Marvel U believes them to be deed. There were lots of rumors swirling around about political and business reasons why the FF were dumped from Marvel's lineup, but we'll never know the real reason, and none of it really matters we anymore. We know the real reason. They were uh, strong-arming Fox. No, that nobody ever came out and said that. Bleeding Cool was like, of, uh... Of course they didn't come out and say it, but it just so happens. Marvel's reclusive right-wing uh, CEO was throwing a hissy fit, and so they had to cancel the Fantastic Four. But it Four. just so happens they get the movie rights back, and oh, hey, let's put that comic out again. <laughs> Look, man, it doesn't matter because the Fantastic Four are back. Almost. Writer Dan Slott kicks off the story with a day in the lives of surviving, air quotes, members Ben Grimm and Johnny Storm, immediately reintroducing classic supporting cast members Alicia Masters and Wyatt Wingfoot. I fucking love Wyatt Wingfoot. I do too. <laughs> Suddenly, an old signal flare lights the sky, giving them hope that the rest of their family has finally returned. Slott effortlessly weaves classic bits of FF continuity into his story in subtle ways, appearances by classic members, hints at past relationships. It's all there for longtime fans to enjoy without bogging the story down with history for a new reader. His takes on the various members of the FF are perfect. Slot has been waiting almost his entire life to write this book, and it shows. The lead story ends with a beacon of hope for Johnny and Ben, and I got to admit it, it made me cry. Nerd. I did. The backup story brings Dr. Doom back to his roots, following a few years of him playing the hero, courtesy of Brian Michael Bendis. I'm curious to see the status quo between Doom and the FF once they've reunited. There's even a fun fourth wall breaking final page with the Impossible Man, drawn by Scotty Young, and who else would you get? Right. It's perfect. The art throughout the issue is spectacular. Sarah Pacelli excels with body language and facial expressions, which fits 
perfectly with a book as full of emotion as this one. It's the cutest Alicia Masters has ever been. <laughs> she was hot stuff. I was a little worried that Sarah Pacelli wouldn't be the right fit for like a big yeah. adven- adventure style book. But I mean, she drew Ultimate Spider-Man for a long time. I mean, I suppose. But that was like, again, that's like a pretty much a one character yeah. book. And team books are tough. They're it's true. really hard. But like her scenes of like Johnny flying around and like the action stuff. Like, it was great. It was really good. Like, remember when Mark Bagley made the twir- the turn to team books? That did not work mm. out so well. And he also drew Ultimate Spider-Man. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Simone Bianchi's Dr. Doom is terrifying even without pants. Yeah. Shirtless Doom. The FF have been gone too long, but after a fantastic first issue... I'm confident that their revival is in great hands. It's a huge buy-it. Yeah, Dan Slott was made for this. He's just made for this. And the Fantastic Four are a team that he can do whatever he wants to with, and no one can bitch because they've done it all. It's not like Spider-Man where they made Peter Parker a millionaire and he was running a company and people were like, that's not my Spider-Man. Right. You can literally do whatever you want with the Fantastic Four. It's true. They made the thing a millionaire once. Yeah. It was awesome. This is the perfect place for Dan Slott. This is a wonderful first issue. Some people bitched that the Fantastic Four did not return in it, but I think they established a Carl. Yeah, I think they established a very emotional <laughs> yes. build up and an end to that Marvel two in one that they were working on with the yeah. Human Torch and the Thing. This was just great, huge buy. And that book's going to continue, and they're going to yeah. kind of feed off each other. It's going to be yeah, fun. I agree. Like I think that they needed to establish the absence of the Fantastic Four being felt by the yes, world. Definitely. And they did. And, they, they did and we had a big emotional conclusion to it. I think this is a great place for She-Hulk. And I would like to see more of her here and maybe less of what they're doing with her in the Avengers. Because I do not like big, scary She-Hulk. I don't either. I think it's dumb. I like sexy, in-control She-Hulk. And I'm done with this. Oh, she's damaged. She's been beat up plenty of fucking times. Sure. Yeah, like, it was it was fine for a story. Sure. But you know what? Civil yeah. War II was two years ago, yeah. and, and it, it wasn't very good, and, and I'm tired cared, of people referencing it. And why are we still dealing with it? It was just dumb. I agree. Anyway, tune in next week for more She-Hulk cast. Matt Bomb, what are you reviewing this week? This week, I chose Black Badge. I don't know one. why I said it like that. I, I don't just, either. You know. It was weird. From Boom! It's written by Matt Kent with art by Tyler Jenkins, 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Matt Kent and Tyler Jenkins, the team behind Grass Kings, reunite for a new ongoing series about a top-secret elite branch of Boy Scouts tasked by the government to take on covert missions. Among their organization, the Black Badges are the elite, the best of the best. They're feared even by the other badges. The missions they take are dangerous, and they will only get worse as their leaders... This is... I directly pasted that in there and they wrote leaders leaders as their leaders attention is split between their mission objectives and tracking down a lost team member a team member who's disappeared years ago presumed dead a haunting look at foreign policy culture wars and isolationism through the lens of kids who know they must fix the world so the adults have broken matt kent has proven himself to be one of comics most talented weirdos writing off kilter stories Everywhere he's gone, from his time at Dark Horse's Mind Migment to his work on Valiant superhero titles, Kent has a proven track record of unique style and wonder that makes his story strange, special, and mesmerizing. Here, Kent tells the story of a group of secret scouts sent into hot zones to do the U.S. government's dirty work. Who would suspect a group of kids anyway? Paired with artist Tyler Jenkins, who seems to adapt to any damn art style he pleases, the two create an almost Wes Anderson-esque tale of four kids driven by a sense of duty, posing as scouts, doing the work that must be done. Kent 
and Jenkins drop you directly into a somewhat timeless world that feels part Cold War and part modern day. Jenkins pencils take on a very mind management Matt Kent look with a little more polish that adds to the cloak and dagger spy feel of the story. These aren't plucky youngsters taking the good, taking the bad and learning about the facts of life. These are young, hardened spies doing the dirty work and following orders. I'm glad you made that joke because I was ready. Gotcha. (laughs) Black Badge number one was another fantastic issue in Kent's ever-growing menagerie of weird fiction. It gets a huge buy it. I can't wait for a TV series because you know it's coming. Oh, yeah, that would be awesome. This even ties into mind management. Yes, that was funny. I laughed out loud. That was was really clever. "Ah, no! Uh, I I really enjoyed the story. I love the concept. I didn't love the art. It's not my favorite style that I've seen Jenkins do, but I thought it worked here. So the only other place that I've seen Tyler Jenkins was uh, Peter Panzerfaust, which was Grass Kings. I don't remember Grass Kings. Oh, Grass Kings was beautiful. I'm trying to. I'm I can, I'm confusing Grass Kings with. Royal City yeah. and Gideon Falls, which are all like the vaguely town named books that and Matt all, Kitt and Jeff Lemire are putting out, out right in the now. Same year, I think. I, I thought uh, the art was kind of sparse; like there were hardly yeah. ever any backgrounds. I think he's a good artist, and I think the concept and the story really sell it. And I'm giving it a buy it as well. Uh, I think it's such a great idea. The idea yeah, of cool as hell. Of uh, uh, they're not all boys. One of them is is a girl. But yeah, the idea of scouts like having an adult role in the world, like a so secret cool. adult role, it's I love so it. So cool. So that's a double buy it for FF number one and a double buy it for BB number one. <laughs> we'll post our written reviews over the two headed. No, we won't. Over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Yes, when is the last will. time that happened? So you nerds can tell us what you thought of these comics, and you creators can put quotes on the covers of your next issue. You're welcome. But we want to hear from you, too. Call us, email us, tweet at us, Facebook us, steal a plane, and skywrite your opinions of these comics. Or you can also just head over to the THM forums. Tell us what you thought of these comics. There. Turns out we had two cheeky little British invaders in the ziggurat while Matt and I were on vacation. Sons of bitches. But I got a little surprise for you, Lord Fungus and Mr. Tarrington. Turns out our very own Wooly Toots was left on guard duty, and not only has he been freebasing Viagra all week, but he's slipped into his favorite gimp mask, and he's on his way downstairs where you're both holding on for dear life in the lower pits of the dimensional despair we call the basement dodging tentacles and lobster claws, reaching out of the void that powers the ziggurat itself. It's a whole thing. It's really complicated. (laughs) Hold on to your butts, gentlemen, because the gimp is frisky and he is not interested unless they're screaming. Whoa. (laughs) Matt, pull up a chair. This is going to be ugly, but impossible not to watch. While we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during... The Ludicrous Speed Run! Ludicrous Speed! Go! The Offspring. Number one, dash two, from Correct Handed Productions. That means he's a lefty. Creator David Whalen reached out to us on Facebook and asked if we'd review his creator-owned series, and we are always happy to oblige. And we said no! Yeah, fuck off, David. (laughs) The Offspring seems to be a kind of sci-fi horror X-Men homage featuring a trio of super-powered 20-somethings 
trying to find a friend's missing brother. Waylon sets up a lot of neat ideas, his cast is diverse and likable, and he has a good sense of storytelling in terms of camera angles and panel layouts. His art shows a lot of promise, but he needs to focus on things like anatomy and proportions and how people and objects fit and interact with backgrounds. Like, for example, two dudes walking down a hallway uh, and making it not look like they are in Willy Wonka's funhouse. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. No, I mean, you know. It's, I can't it's do it either. I can't do it legit either. Legit okay? constructive criticism. Yeah, I mean, right. hey, it's more than I've done. Fair enough. My biggest criticism of the story is that I didn't get enough of it. Two issues in, and the only thing I know about the lead characters is that they grew up together. I didn't even know that they had superpowers until the second issue. But David is obviously pouring his heart and soul into this work, and if he keeps it up, it'll only get stronger from here. Support new voices in comics. I'm giving the offspring a buy it. Fair enough. Edge of Spider-Geddon, number one from Marvel. I talked smack. I said, it's too soon. We just finished Edge of Spider-Verse. I was wrong. Hobie Brown is back as Spider-Punk Man or whatever, and it's great! Gerardo Sandoval is fantastic on art, doing his Spidey School of Humberto Ramos thing. Newcomer Jedediah Cage McKay, as he's listed on comicbookdb.com, writes a fantastic script featuring... Kang the Conglomerator I love coming that. to Earth 138, a blatant Misfits reference, to capture Hobie and make him a 2099 media darling. Look, I loved it. And I was wrong. Edge of Spider Geddon number one gets a bite. See, I thought that this would be the sort of thing that you hated with all the cutesy punk references. It totally worked. It was really well written. Uh, and for some reason, I forgot that Spider-Punk was Hobie Brown. That was a total pleasant surprise. I totally forgot to. Oh. Infinity Wars, number two from Marvel. How can a cosmic event about the Infinity Stones be so fucking dull? It really is. I like writer Jerry Duggan a lot, but I don't feel anything reading this series. Yeah. All of the characters have been standing around in the middle of New York City or wherever the hell they are talking about what to do with the stones for two issues. Even when Requiem shows up and starts chopping heads off, it's still boring. Mike Diodato's adding a lot of fancy tricks to his art lately, but it's still stiff as hell. The only reason I'm giving Infinity Wars number two a skim it is because I'm curious to see what Loki is up to and... I want to know what's up with these uh, new amaglams. <laughs> the infinity wraps. <laughs> Pearl, number one from DC slash Jinx World. Maybe. I'm not exactly sure. It's Brian Jinx Michael World. It's an imprint it? of DC Comics, yes. Okay. Brian Michael Bendis leaps straight into his Jinx World boutique imprint with a new series he's probably going to neglect very soon. Starring a tattoo artist with a very special tattoo that I think is also maybe an assassin or something. She's an accidental assassin. Is that what it is? Yeah, she did not mean to get caught up in the whole Yakuza business. Michael Gayados is awesome in art, but I feel like I've fallen for this one before. After Scarlet, Spider-Woman, and Jessica Jones, I'm going to even throw powers in there too, even though it's not a female-centric book. I just feel like I've been here before, but I've been left behind. This time it felt a little weird. Wonderful art by Gatos, but the story is not grabbing me yet. Pearl gets a yeah, skim it. I did not love it. I didn't either. It was just fucking weird. Crowded, number one from Image. 
In a near future world where the economy is run by job shares and apps, Charlie Ellison finds herself the target of a crowdfunded assassination campaign. The only thing for her to do is get on her phone and hire the cheapest bodyguard she can find. That's what you do. Writer Christopher Sabella is back at it with yet another amazing high concept story. I love this idea. And this was a fantastic first issue brought to life with brilliant art by Sabella's collaborators. Penciler Rose Stein, inker Ted Brandt, color artist Triona Farrell, and letterer Cardinal Ray. I'm giving Crowded number one a huge buy it. It was awesome. I really liked it as well. Terminator Sector War number one of four from Dark Horse. Spawned by the upcoming relaunch of the Terminator movie franchise that doesn't seem to be paying attention to anything that happened after Terminator 2, one of my favorite writers, Brian Wood, pens a very solid Terminator story that takes place right alongside the original Terminator movie. Wood introduces us to Lucy Castro, a hard-edged cop who's been targeted for termination by Skynet with fantastic art by six-gun guerrilla artist Jeff Stokely. I have not cared about a Terminator comic in years. This was legitimately good, very well drawn. I'm giving it a buy it. Sandman Universe number one from Vertigo. Cy Spurrier and a host of other writers and artists unite with Neil Gaiman to relaunch the flagship of the Vertigo universe. This is an anthology issue setting up the four new ongoing books. My level of interest varies from title to title. But I'm especially excited for The Dreaming by Spurrier and Bilkis Evley. Still one of my favorite names in comics. And Books of Magic by Cat Howard and Tom Fowler. I'm kind of meh on the others right now, but overall this one shot did a great job of setting the stage for the new books, as well as the overarching mystery that will run through them. I'll say this, however. This one shot is absolutely not reader friendly. Not at all. If you don't know what the dreaming is or who the endless are, or if you've never encountered the curious relationship between Cain and Abel, you'll probably be a little lost. I feel like there's something to be said for that, though. I kind of like that they're just like, okay, they're just going for it, right? We're doing it like everybody get on board. Hey, hey, if you're just willing to roll with it into the new books. Or if you're a longtime Vertigo fan, there's a lot to like in CMA Universe number one. I'm giving it a very strong skim and I think most of these new books are going to be really good. Extermination number one from Marvel. The past X-Men that have been pulled to the future are under siege from Ahab. And, well, no spoilers here, but someone else as well. And the reveal did make me giggle out loud. And wow, was Pepe Larraz great on pencils here. I love time-displaced weird X-stories. And, yes. Edber- and writer Ed Brisson seems to have a firm grip on weird X time travel. Extermination looks like it's going to be a good time, and it gets a buy-in. This reminded me a lot of, like, the great X-Men crossovers from when we were kids, like Executioner's yes. Song. Uh, totally. Like, totally. I totally got that feel from it, and it was a ton of fun. Yeah, very early 90s. It was fun. Fracaboosh! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Fracaboosh is the sound of the evil Scourge shooting Angel Dragon in the face with a power blast. What a jerk. I know. As seen in the pages of Savage Dragon number 237. 
This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Dozo via the THN forums. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can blast it all over any of our social media or shoot an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You know, Joe, I almost feel sorry for those little blokes, but uh, there's a reason the runes above the door read, Abandon hope, ye butts who enter here. <laughs> You should have studied your Sumerian boys, but after a romp like that, Joey, I say we retire to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, fan ourselves like proper southern bells while reclining on our Molord Bone Chase Lounge while we tell these nerds about our must-read picks for Wednesday, August the 22nd. Joey, why don't you start us off, sweetheart? Well, well. Little darling. (laughs) My pick for the 22nd is West Coast Avengers number one. Boo. Don't you boo me. I don't care. It's written by, oh, pardon me. It's from Marvel Comics, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Stefano Caselli. It's 40 pages for $4.99. That's a much better price line. Well, you did get eight whole extra pages in FF number one. I guess that's worth a dollar. Yeah. Here's your solicit. A new era dawns! Avengers assemble! Hawkeye! Parentheses, Kate Bishop and parentheses. Hawkeye! Parentheses, Clint Barton and parentheses. A guy named Fuse. Never have they ever been called the big three of anything. And now here they are reunited for, okay, well, it's only the second time ever. Thank God they also brought America Chavez, Gwenpool, and Kid Omega. Uh. Wait, what? That's right. It's the new West Coast Avengers, son. And you better hope they can figure out how to save the world because big things are headed for the West Coast. Coast. I just, I don't care. It's going to be fun. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. It's lighthearted. I don't, like, Gwenpool, whatever. I'm, I like Kate. I like Clint. I like America Chavez. I like Kid Omega. He, yeah. Quentin Quire. Yeah, he's perfect when he's being a mutant in mutant fucking stories. What is he doing here? This is dumb. Look, don't be a racist. Mutants can do anything they want. Wrong. Mutants need to be kept in a box. <laughs> a little mutant <laughs> box where they belong. What's your pick? My pick for next week is Beasts of Burden, number one, Wise Dogs and Eldritch Men from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Evan Dorkin with art by Benjamin Dewey, new artist. 32 pages, $3.99. Here's your solicit. A heroic pack of canines known as the Wise Dogs set off on a mission to clean up Pennsylvania Corridor, plagued by seemingly unrelated occult disturbances that include a fire salamander, a horde of mutant lurkers, A link is found among the various disturbances, leading our heroes to a mountain village inhabited by a survivalist witch cult who have discovered the existence of a blood lure, attracting occult forces, creatures, and many more terrors to Burden Hill. Many more terrors. I love this friggin' book. Yep. I love that Evan Dorkin has the ability to take talking animals and put them in horrifying situations where sometimes they die. It's very sad. There's real stakes. This is an amazing comic book. It's true. I think this is the first time Jill Thompson is not drawing it. Uh, this is just a one shot, I think. Yeah. And Jill Thompson is still the regular artist of Beast of Burden. Okay. Like yeah. they've confirmed that. I was just sort of shocked not to see her here. Yeah. I mean, it's, I kind of looked at it like the Hellboy one shots, you know, where right. they like have. Which I'm fine with. If they want to branch special, off. Special, like and Kevin Nolan. Do know, some other stuff with it. It's sort of like build a Beast of Burden universe. Mm. Fine with me. Totally. The THN trade of the week is 
Thing and Human Torch by Dan Slott, trade paperback. That's a bad... Why are we just, not calling it Marvel 2-in-1? It's a bad title, dudes. Yeah. It's not the Marvel 2-in-1. It's... Oh. I'll get there. Gotcha. This is from Marvel, of course. It's written by Dan Slott with art by Ty Templeton and Andrea DeVito. It's 320 pages for $34.99. Why not just retitle it Marvel 2-in-1? <laughs> well, because hey, there, there, there's already a Marvel 2-in-1 collection coming of the new series, and that would be confusing. Marvel 2-in-1 2. Mar- yeah, Marvel 2-in-1 2. Yeah. Marvel 90210. Here's your solicit. Dan Slott takes on half of the Fantastic Four, and naturally, the ever-amazing writer brings Spider-Man along for the ride. First, the Human Torch and Spidey's unique friendship is explored across five adventures in different eras, from high school to adulthood, from the coffee bean to the negative zone, from Dory Evans to Mary Jane Watson. It's the ultimate team-up of flame, brain, and webhead. Who is Dory Evans? Uh, Human Torch's first girlfriend okay. from the 60s. All right. Then the ever-loving blue-eyed thing takes the spotlight. The idol of millions is now worth billions, and he's enjoying his newfound riches, not to mention the odd game of poker with pals, including the FF, Goliath, Hercules, Lockjaw, and yes, Spider-Man. The Thing's poker games are one of my favorite comic book. It's like the X-Men playing softball. Oh, I love them. I agree. But fear not, bashful Benji has reserved some clobbering for foes like Arcade, Shock Jock, I have what? Shock Jock. And classic sparring partners, Trapster and Sandman. Who the fuck is Shock Jock? I don't remember. This book collects the two minis that Dan Slott wrote gotcha. in the early to mid-2000s. Okay. Spider-Man, Human Torch 1 through 5, and the criminally short-lived Thing ongoing it was series so good. that only lasted eight issues. It was so good. That book does, just did not deserve to get canceled. Yeah, that was one of my favorite Thing stories. Oh, that's out today. This week, Wednesday, the correct 20th, the fifteenth. You are correct. Mm-hmm. Don't forget, nerds. New comic book day is just one week away. So call your friendly neighborhood comic book store and get these books added to your pull files right, damn now. Now and again, we like to visit the THN library to seek the knowledge of the official THN historian Jason Sachs who we like to ask questions that sound like, Hey, Jason, who the hell is this guy? This time on Who the Hell is This Guy, the wise Mr. Sachs responds to our very own Black Scorpion the Three, who wants to know, Who the hell is Dominic Fortune? Librarian Sachs, take it away, if you will. Hi, I'm Jason Sachs, so welcome to this week's edition of Who is This Guy? This week, I'm here to explain to you all about Dominic Fortune. This brigand for hire was created by Howard Chaikin in the mid-1970s, not for Marvel, but for the short-lived Atlas comic. Chaikin was a young up-and-comer at that time, and he created a dashing 1930s adventurer named The Scorpion for Atlas. When that company folded, and there are some great stories about the formation and folding of that company, Chaikin changed a few aspects of The Scorpion and brought him to the pages of Marvel Preview number 2 as Dominic Fortune. That story showed Fortune as I love to read him. He's in the mold of Doc Savage. He's smart, quick with his fists, and with a touch of the Errol Flynn flash. However, unlike Savage, Dominic isn't involved in his work for scientific or societal gain. Instead, Dom is out to have a good time, make some money he can lose at the gambling table, and hopefully punch a Nazi or two. Dom hung out in 1938 Los Angeles with the beautiful Sabbath Raven as his young lover, landlord, and fellow adventurer. He owned a gambling yacht in which Fortune had an apartment. Together, the pair had 
seven or eight spectacular adventures by Chaykin and assorted friends in the pages of Marvel Preview, Hulk Magazine, and the stray issue of Marvel Premiere. These are fantastic stories, which reveal some of Fortune's backstory and set him as one of fav- Chaykin's favorite heroic Jew characters. That's a classic Chaykin stereotype or trope, I should say. Um, just love the heroic Jews who were uh, brave, powerful, and um, one of the seven tribes. These stories are a bit obscure and a little hard to find, but they're delightfully fun. The Hulk magazine stories are painted, and they're just fantastic. Just wonderful work uh, and well worth a search. Dom next appeared in the modern day, and unlike many of his colleagues, he had aged. Marvel team-up number 120 from 1982 by Mark Dematius saw a fortune emerge from a senior living facility to, bur- to battle Turner D. Century and show that a 70-something hero can still fight. Sadly, a storyline with Fortune's son in the late 1980s and early 90s, which spanned several titles, didn't go as well, as the son took up the mantle of hero and was ultimately killed. 2006 saw the miniseries Sable and Fortune, James Bond mixed with Moonlighting-style four-part minis set in the modern day with wonderful art by British artist John Burns. That series DH Fortune without any explanation and set the pair on a very fun adventure worth salvaging out of the cheapo bins. 2009's Astonishing Tales Dominic Fortune was a thrilling six-part globetrotting saga set against a looming Second World War. That book by Dean Motter and Greg Scott is a delight and mixes our hero in the Marvel youth in clever ways. But good as the work by anyone other than Howard Chaikin was on Dominic Fortune, Chaikin always did the character best. 2009's Max series Dominic Fortune by Chaikin was a fun return to form. That 2009 series is a sex-filled, classic-y, Chaykin-esque mix of social satire of the 1930s, deboshed L.A. movie stars and studio heads, an attempt to create or commit a coup d'etat against the United States, and a wildly violent ending. It's crazy, late Chaykin, fun and games. you got to have a strong stomach, but it's really a great time. Dom Fortune also hung around the 1950s Avengers and had been parts of groups like the World Counterterrorism or Agency. He's connected to the Marvel U. But I love Dominic Fortune because he's like an alter ego for Howard Chaykin. He's a Jewish badass who never ages and always has a good time. Check out my book, The American Comic Book Chronicles of the 1990s, which will be published by Tomorrow's Publishing. It should be available in uh, late September, so put it on your pull list now. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Excelsior! That is it for THN 496. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, ask these nerds a new question of the week, please. Gladly. This week's question comes from New Guy. Hey, New Guy. By the THN forums. What are you, the New Guy? Hey, I'm new to comics and I don't know shiz. Ooh, he's got a mouth. I only just finished Gaiman's Sandman Volume 1 and I loved it, but holy shiz, that was the most 80s thing I've read since I joined Book It for the free pizza. (laughs) Book It. I forgot about Book It. I love Book It. Obviously, a product of its time, everyone looks like they're in a David Bowie video and there are references to stand-up comedy in two separate stories. Yes. It's true. Again, I'm new, so I'm sure there's other stuff out there that's worse. So here's my question. What book 
run, or arc is solely and completely a product of its time. Oh, so like completely dated comics. One that absolutely couldn't have worked in any other time period. Oh. Now look. I love this. I'm going to say I'm disqualifying. Don't like bring up Fantastic Four number one because it was written in the 60s. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. No, and even that, like that's not so much like dated because of its time. That's like a silver age thing. That's just you it's know? When, it, when it came out. Right. We're talking about like a story specifically about right. the Dazzler doing disco music. Right. Or the, or the Beyonder wearing a double-breasted suit Yeah, coat. with a Michael Jackson <laughs> Jerry girl. Yeah. Uh, Iron Man having roller skates. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> completely dated shit. Right. Absolutely. Yes. I love this question. That's I think it's hilarious. And one. I already have an answer. Nice job, new guy. Yeah. THN is a listener-supported podcast. We want to thank everyone that heaps their hard-earned cash into the THN furnace. This is money they could be spending at their local comic shop every week, but instead they choose to spend it supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we cannot afford shit. We can't afford shit. We can't afford our double-breasted cream suits with pink undershirts very very miami vice yeah man and uh don't forget like don't forget the jerry curl i feel like <laughs> i feel like tubs over here shout out to our latest patron rusky south rusky friggin south love that guy are you kidding me i know he's I'm got a he's got kids to yeah, feed no jesus rusty irresponsible come on man quite frankly what are you doing before we go our weekly shout out goes to stately lord fungus and mark tarrington who had the guts to break into the ziggurat while we were on vacation in an attempt to steal our ancient secrets. But they took their pounding like champs. Yes, I'll they did. <laughs> Though they'll suffer the consequences of their hubris for all eternity, they escaped with their lives and our respect. Because we let them. Well, yeah, let's only remember the important them. thing. All right. Or do you boys, uh, in all seriousness, if you want to go read the ridiculous Twitter adventure that these two guys had while it we were gone. Great. Go to the Two Headed Nerd feed. I think I retweeted everything that was a part of the story. I think you did. Uh, good luck sorting it out. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might drop your butts into a void of misery and despair. And from, tentacles. Yeah, and tentacles from which no comic book shall escape. This is the Two Headed Nerd, signing off.